You're listening to Punching the Wall, a podcast about punching up and dismantling prejudice one break at a time. You sound like BBC News. <laughs> okay, so we survived another week. We did, barely. How's life? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been hectic. It's been really busy. It's been. Yeah. Uh, obviously work and just yeah everything. How how's it been for you? Um, can I skip the question? Just <laughs> <laughs> that bad, right? It's been intense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've I've done a lot lately in terms of like writing, in terms of like advocacy work, and um, I'm probably going to to have the chance to talk about that uh, yeah. in another episode. Uh, but yeah, lots of things going on. Yeah, lots of things. Um, so obviously, you know, for me, um, October is Lupus Awareness Month. Yes. Uh, so do I say congrats, hello, <laughs> welcome, like, uh, yeah, all of those things. I survived. <laughs> I survived another year. Um, so for those of you who don't know, we did kind of mention that you would kind of get to know a little bit more about us as individuals. Um, and today you are going to learn a little bit more about me and the fact that I have lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. Uh, I've had it for a long time. I was diagnosed in 2004. Um, so Were yeah. you 12 or something? <laughs> Shut up, I was 12. <laughs> Not that old. Uh, no, I was I was in my 20s, actually. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good idea to kind of uh, coincide with Lupus Awareness Month um, to kind of give some information and just kind of share my, my journey and my story about lupus. Um, I've also written an article That'll be out. Uh, <laughs> that'll be out in the Everyday Magazine. Uh, so yeah, I guess over to you. What do you want to know? <laughs> so is this how we're playing it? <laughs> yes. I okay. mean, I could, I could just talk about myself, or you know. I mean, pretty sure Jess is going to ask you to record the <laughs> the article itself as well. Probably. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to leave the the exclusive to to the magazine. But yeah. um. Yeah, I mean, I you, you know, I only ended up reading the whole thing this morning on mm. our way here. Yeah. Um, because I couldn't give a shit. Up. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> rude. Absolutely rude. I am. Um, <laughs> can I say shit? Yeah. yeah. I think we established that we... I mean, I said fuck, I can say shit. Right. Wow. Okay. With that. <laughs> so early for those words. I think I said it earlier in the other one. <laughs> yeah, but you did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next time I'm just going to start that with a fuck. <laughs> That's more in the spirit of the of the podcast. It is. Um, but yeah. So I mean, I've been reading it, and of course, like it's been really intense to like even just to read it. You mm. know, like the idea that potentially I could have never met you. This is yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it just literally. Just, I mean, you already talked to this like about this to me a few times, mm. but like it didn't hit me until I read this. Yeah, and uh, I literally got chills thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. It it's really weird because you know I I talk about it openly and and freely, and obviously you know I've written an article about it, um, and I've been asked by quite a lot of people to kind of share my story, um, and. I think when people really understand kind of what happened and, and all the things that I kind of had to deal with, um, 
there is that kind of it's almost like an overwhelming sense of god like i may not have met you if things hadn't kind of turned around for you um and you know that is a very real thing like i i sometimes talk about it and i don't because I, I kind of, you know, I just throw the information out there. It's just like, yeah, this happened and I was in hospital for this long and I had this and I had that. Um, and I sometimes think, and especially over the last kind of few weeks of, you know, knowing that we were going to do this, knowing that I was writing the article, you know, remembering that time, it was quite triggering for me at some points because, you know, it, it kind of took me right back to that time, which wasn't great at all. Like I said, I was in my early 20s. My daughter was just over a year old. And, you know, I was with my daughter's father and, you know, I had a home and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden it's just like someone pulled the rug from underneath me um, and it just kind of spiralled out of control. Um, how how did it feel like writing it? Like I know you said that like it was, you know, triggering because, of mm. course... It meant that, you know, you had to think about all that and, you know, quite in detail and this sort of like probably brought up, you know, all those, those mm. things back as well. But do you feel it was like somehow cathartic writing it or like did you have to, like, was it easier for you to, you know, just sit down, write it and like get it done with or did you, you know, stop? Did you have to get back to it? Like how, how was like the, the process the for process, you? Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I... I didn't sit down and write it all in one go. I was kind of like writing some bits and then revisiting it, writing, revisiting. Um, I initially ended up with, because I just kind of wrote as and when things that came to me, but I wanted it to be a story as opposed to, you know, fact-based, mm -hmm. you know, information, statistics and stuff like that. Um, because unfortunately with, you know, lots of different illnesses, they can't you forget that there is a human behind that thing I'm more than just what I kind of went through there are you know thoughts and feelings and processes that are associated with having such a chronic illness so um I didn't want it to kind of be me just kind of shouting at people giving them information about lupus and you know I didn't want it to be like that but my process I, I guess it was cathartic. It's the first time that I've actually seen it written down, but I did reduce it from, mm -hmm. I don't know, I ended up <laughs> with like 11, 12 Yeah, we can't write pages. a book all the time. Dash. Yeah, I we, we need to, to start editing because... <laughs> I know, I know. It, it was, it, it did kind of feel like a book because although just in the three months that I was in hospital, um, so much happened. And there's a few things that I kind of mentioned um, in the article, but... There was so much more that I, and I just, it's like, I just like had like verbal diarrhea. I was just like throwing stuff out yeah. there, but I just wanted to keep it concise. And, and so that's why I kind of edited it down to the six pages that you see before you. I mean, that's why I love writing is cheaper than hiring a therapist. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is true. But no, I, I mean, it has, it has been cathartic. It has been, um, it's been interesting. It also kind of threw up a few it you it, it up some angry feelings as well, um, especially when I know that there are so many other people like me um, that have, you know, their, their journeys have been so similar to mine. I know that there are people that are still suffering that don't even have a diagnosis. It's notoriously difficult to, to diagnose. 
Um, and I know that there are people that are just starting their journey and, you know, all of the, the trauma that comes with that. Um, and I think my biggest thing is that it's just the same kind of pattern of behaviour from the medical industry. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me that it is an incurable disease. They pump you full of meds. They deal with your symptoms. Um, there's no real talk of a cure. Um, I know it's, it is difficult to find a cure for things but also I know that there is no money in cure that's where I get angry. Yeah, I remember the, that you mentioned about that like mm. reading you know the, the whole process the fact that you know the first diagnosis was just a put muscle and yeah um up to the point where you know when you were the one who actually started studying pretty much what was going mm. you know what was happening to you and where you know asking your doctors why there is not a cure like why no one is doing anything about it. Yeah. Um, I remember, um, I think it was back in September when you started having, you know, when you started thinking about writing this article, mm. uh, or maybe even August, that um, you were asking me an opinion on, like, do, should I put more facts? Like, should mm. I educate people about it? Should I just talk about my experience? Because this is the thing, like, I I don't feel that I mean of course you know it's the awareness month and everything but there isn't a real awareness of like well what the lupus is mm. or like and you know this is the same way that a lot of like other autoimmune diseases like there is there is no cure there's no one talking about it mm. there's no one really doing anything about it and I can imagine that as a person who actually has it and went through that yeah it can be quite disheartening to see that like to know that there is no one investing in saving you <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i have to admit you know the the medicines although they are savage and that's me being polite um you know for a lot of people at, and you know lupus affects people in different ways obviously you've mentioned it is an autoimmune disease for those people who are kind of listening and just like what the hell is lupus um it is an autoimmune disease and the the easiest way that i tend to explain it is um there is this kind of battle or this war going on, which is why I entitled the article The Invisible War. Um, I was going to ask about the battle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I produce antibodies like we all do as part of our immune system, and our immune systems are great at fighting infection and viruses and stuff. Um, my immune system produces antibodies that actually don't recognise good or bad. They just attack everything. They are rogue antibodies... You know, they think they're doing a great job, but actually they're harming me. Um, they cause damage to major organs, um, you know, kidneys, lungs, uh, liver, heart, just, yeah, everything that it can, anything with tissue, membrane, whatever. Um, and that damage in turn causes inflammation. Um, so it's one of those things that inflammation, rheumatoid arthritis, all of those other autoimmune diseases they just treat the symptoms. Um, and I say, and I always say that I'm quite lucky that I was diagnosed when I was because, like I said, I was in my early 20s. It was 2004. Um, and yes, initially I was misdiagnosed with a, <laughs> a pulled muscle. And even now when I think about it, I'm just like... and I'm, I, Do you know what? I'm not even angry mm -hmm. at that doctor um, who kind of... And I speak about it in the article. He was, you know, a young locum doctor. It was about four in the morning I'd had no sleep from the night before the pain was ramping up um I knew there was something wrong but didn't know what I was struggling to breathe 
he looked shattered, probably been on shift for, I don't know, like a week without a break. Um, and, you know, A&E was getting busier and busier. And I think he just kind of saw me and was just like, oh, really? Um, okay, yeah, like it hurts when you lift your arm or when you breathe, you probably pulled a muscle. It, it, it did feel like he just plucked something out of the air just to get rid of me. But again, I'm not angry at that. What I'm angry is at is the fact that after going back to hospital, because I completely coded, um, my lung, I ended up with a, a blood clot in my lung. Um, I, my kidneys were failing. Um, and it was the process that then happened after that, because I wasn't diagnosed, you know, straight away after ending up in hospital. Um, they had to get me out of uh, danger. Um, I had lost feeling down my right side due to a mini stroke. So my whole body just kind of just completely just went out of whack. And for someone so young, presenting with all of these things, the doctors were just like, what the hell? Like, what the hell was happening? Um, so they needed to get me out of danger before they could kind of assess and say, like, well, why is this happening? And so it wasn't until I'd already been in hospital for two months that they <laughs> actually realised, okay, they, they started to connect the dots. They started to realise that this leads to this and that leads to this. And because of that, this has happened. And then they came up with the diagnosis of lupus. Um, and there is no one kind of test for it. Um, there's a series of blood tests. Uh, they look at medical history. And something that I didn't actually speak about was the fact that my medical history prior to me getting lupus... I'd had issues before. So I had rheumatoid arthritis, but I was told it was where I played sports. It was growing pains. It was all of that kind of stuff. I'd had issues with my kidneys before, but I was told, uh, I was then diagnosed with endometriosis. I was then diagnosed with, I had a cystoscopy at 16 and, you know, all of these other things that culminated in my 20s after the birth of my daughter, it just kind of blew up. And... The triggers for lupus um, that I mentioned are basically insane. Yeah, you said at some point that like that it's triggered by life. Yeah. Um, so the main the main triggers are puberty. Obviously, I was in my twenties, so I'd, I'd gone through puberty, childbirth. My daughter was I'd had a child. My daughter was just over a year. Uh, the menopause, touch wood, not yet. Um, and the I was of the age ages between fifteen and fifty five but also viral infections, strong medication, sunlight and trauma. Now, I had shingles twice when I was 16. Okay. I was on antibiotics for continuous like UTIs and kidney infections and obviously sunlight and trauma. I mean, you do live in the UK. I mean, sunlight <laughs> is not yeah. probably one of the <laughs> yeah. most important not factors much. in the list. Not much. But, uh, but yeah, you know, like trauma at the age of 16, my, my grandmother passed away. Uh, you know, childbirth is a traumatic experience. Yeah. As amazing as it is, it is a traumatic experience. Yeah, you're not for going to body. talk me into it. Um. <laughs> um, and strong medications. You know, I was taking you know tramadol and stuff for pain. So I kind of definitely fit the the criteria. And as if there wasn't enough, lupus predominantly affects women 
and is more common in women from black or Asian ethnicities. So you check pretty much all the boxes. I'd, I'd t- like it was, I was bound to get it, basically. They were just like, yes, if anyone's going to get it, it's got to be this one. She's the perfect candidate. Fuck this person in particular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, let's screw her over because uh, her life is going way too swimmingly right now. Um, so, yeah, um, and my journey of you know medication and things not working so trying new medications and that not working and constant kind of hospital admissions all throughout the years um and then at one point they kind of said no 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 she doesn't have lupus uh so then I came off my medication and then I ended up back in hospital and they was just like no shit yeah no, you do have lupus we need to put you back on some stuff like we nearly lost you um so yeah, it, it was just kind of a lot of that. Now, it has to be said that in my first kind of diagnosis after coming out of hospital, my disease was really bad. It was, it was you know, active and alive and kicking and it was kicking my ass. So if it continued the way that it had been, they had basically said that I, you know, I'd be dead in like two years. Um, my kidneys would fail. My lungs would just fill with fluid um and yeah I, I would have like a major event that I wouldn't be able to come back from and I remember the um at some point in the article I mean this was when I think you you had um like you were hospitalized the first time that mm. you mentioned about being afraid of not seeing your mom again and yeah uh how after you you were told <clears throat> you know that you might only have a couple of years and you had to you know to get everything in order when yeah. you were 23 like yeah you're your relatives were sort of like looking for for answers that you didn't have like yeah. do you do you want to talk about that a bit yeah or? of course I, I think i think it's important of course i can I want to talk about when i was of going course, to die yeah, <laughs> of course why not that's why we're here um but no like i definitely want to talk about that because i think you know like i said before like with a lot of chronic illnesses especially an illness like lupus where the physical side isn't always apparent you know um, and I always say that it's it's almost like the devil's confusion. It allows you to look okay if you feel like absolute shit on the inside. And that is what lupus does. There are things happening to you that you aren't aware of, but there's a physiological response. And so making plans with friends, you know, on the Monday, I'd be like, yeah, I definitely want to meet you for lunch. Literally by the Monday evening, I'd be, I wouldn't be able to move. I'd be in bed. Um, just racked with pain and not be able to function. Um, and so it, it's it's one of those kind of diseases that can just rob you of a decent quality of life so many times throughout one day. Um, but yeah, I guess so, you know, I'm in my 20s and it was really difficult for me to even accept that I had this disease. I was young and, you know, it was in denial, I guess, a little bit. Um but hearing, you know, doctors say to you at that age, you need to get your affairs in order. I was kind of just like, I, what affairs? I don't have affairs. What do you mean by this? Um, and obviously for my parents and my family, it was, you know, they were shell-shocked. They were just like, wait, we hadn't even heard of this thing, you know, three months before. And now you're telling us that, you know, our daughter not going to be around. Um, and it was, it was it was a really weird kind of time where you want to be hopeful. You want to, to believe that, 
you know, something can be done. You want to believe that someone will come up with this amazing medicine or that the doctors have got it wrong or they're just being overly cautious or they're just scaremongering or whatever. Um, but when you kind of, when that realize that realization kind of hits you, it's, it's a very sobering thought. It's a very, very sobering thought. Um, and it was a, it was a, a it was a difficult time. Um, I had the whole situation of I lived in a flat with stairs. Um, I was having to move or have you know aids put in my um, into my home, like you know banisters and you know things for the bath to help me get in and out of the bath and stuff like that. And at twenty three with a, a baby, not being able to see my daughter grow up and, you know, like thinking about those things. I wasn't able to get life insurance. So all my lupus warriors will know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, getting life insurance to take care of my daughter and, and you know, my family and whatever is, is impossible. Soon as you have a disease like lupus, they won't take the risk because you could be here one minute and then you could have a major event, you know, two weeks later you've paid you know two months premiums and you're they're expected to pay out like a hundred grand no they're not going to do that so short of any savings you're kind of up shit's creek with it um and it's not like some other you know illnesses where it's a terminal illness um but lupus is fatal and I know that there is talk of it's it's not fatal no one ever dies from lupus and this is the big thing no one on the death certificate, it will not say lupus. It's lupus related, but it's more likely to be a major event like a stroke or a blood clot in the lung that goes to the brain or kidney failure. It's going to be one of those, a symptom of lupus. So it's really, really difficult to get affairs in order when I couldn't get life insurance, couldn't get medical insurance. Um, you know, I was out of work. Um and it was just a really horrible, scary time. We looked to the US. Uh, there's a massive, it, I think in the US, it's a little bit more um, widely recognized than mm -hmm. the UK. Um, we looked to the US to, to see what they were doing. And my parents were kind of thinking about sending me over there. Uh, and I have, to, I, I have to let people know, like the turning point for me, even though all of these things were going on, I was almost kind of like an outsider um I always say my mother is like I mean she she should have been in the army she executes things with military precision so for her she was not gonna let her daughter die she was gonna find a way and so her and my family they just literally just would, took over you know they were like sending me emails they were sending me all this stuff and they were just like right we're gonna do this we're gonna do that you're gonna change this you're gonna change that and I almost kind of like took a step back and I had to let them do it because there was a point that I resigned myself to the fact that I wasn't going to be here. Yeah. And I didn't want to tell them that. I didn't want to burden them with that. I just let them continue on in their hope, even though I had lost all of mine. Yeah. Um, my grandmother, who lived in the Caribbean, um, I didn't want her to know. Uh, because I didn't want to upset her. But I think for my mother, obviously that's her mum. Mm -hmm. And she needed someone to talk to. So she ended up telling her. And she called um, from Dominica and I spoke to her. And one of the things that she said to me was, just because they say it's so, doesn't mean it is. Mm -hmm. And at that point, 
and it's just you know those few words but it was you know i've spoken to you how much like my grandmother is a yeah, giant did, and yes. i love her um and so hearing those words from her was just kind of like do you know what yeah maybe it doesn't maybe i don't have to lose hope maybe i don't have to resign myself to the fact that i'm not going to be around to see my daughter grow up um i need to keep fighting i need to do what they're telling me to do i need to change some things i need to continue fighting basically um i'm a warrior i have to be yeah. also got- because like mental health you know takes of course like a huge hit on that but mm. like when your mental health isn't great it takes a hit on your body as well exactly. like of course it's proportional to all this like i'm not saying that you know it's the same as having a stroke mm. but it does have an impact on like on, on how you heal yeah i mean of course. of course this doesn't mean that you know if you end up having a terminal or a fatal illness if you're happy all the time that's going to cure you mm. but it's probably not going to make things worse and like that was one of the things that i, I sort of got from from reading your article even when you mentioned about uh, the person you used to talk to at the hospital who, who passed away while mm. while you were there that the I, I could feel that this sort of like feeling of hopelessness, like mm. just 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 by reading it. Yeah. Um and the idea that you you kinda had to accept up to you know, up to a certain point that, you know, that that was it. Mm. And that like this is something of course like it's a completely different context, but um you know, I have like a really bad relationship with death and grief mm. and i remember something i was talking to um uh with my therapist about like we we talked a lot about you know what if i'm going to die or something um which i'm going to talk about in another episode but um and one of the things i said it was like well at that point i would just want my partners and my friends to do whatever they need to deal with it mm. like i wouldn't even care about you know when i'm going to end up anymore it's just like they can do whatever they need mm. like because you know i'm going to be gone like they're the ones who need to deal with that yeah and you know that, that kind of like ties in with, with what you were saying about you know them sort of like taking over and you taking a passive role in that mm. um because you know that that's the thing i got from the article as well you know at the point where you you think you've got an expiration date you you become almost like the the person who's not leaving this just the person who's like on the receiving end of mm. of like all this this process mm. and just from like from reading what you've written like that sounded like incredibly intense so i can definitely see how you know what your grandma said even if it was just you know just a few words mm. could have meant you know a changing point for that especially coming from a person you really cared about yeah no, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I adored my grandmother. And I think at, at some point I I just had to remember what I had. Um, and it's, you know, you kind of do this thing when you have a chronic illness and you know that your quality of life isn't going to be great. You know that you're going to have to rely heavily on people around you and you instantly don't want to be that burden. So you kind of feel like well if I wasn't here then they would grieve obviously but they would then they have each other they would get over it and they would be able to continue on if I stick around I'm going to be this constant burden that they have to look after that they have to worry about that they continue have to visit you know in hospital take time off off of work 
um, you know, and my daughter seeing me in hospital, like, you know, with wires and tubes and stuff like that. And so you do have that mindset where it's almost, it's selfish, but you think, you know, it's better for everyone else. It's better for them um, if I'm not around. So I think that's definitely where I was. Um, But my grandmother, she kind of pulled me out of that. Um, And that's not to say that the rest of my family weren't telling me to, you know, to do this and do that. But I think I needed to hear it from her Mm -hmm. because everyone was kind of, you know, throwing all of these medications and trials and this at me where she was just like, listen, just because they say you're going to die doesn't mean you're going to die. Do you know what I mean? Um, um, You know, my grandmother's fully aware of of that throughout her lifetime. Um, So I stopped. I stopped believing it. I stopped believing that what they, you know, the outlook that they said was true. Um, and I tried to continue and, you know, I had did all my hospital appointments. I did every scan. They siphoned my blood whenever they wanted to. And they were basically just trying to keep me ticking over. And that was, I was going to deal with that. And then I was going to make the best of it. Um, when it got to the two years, so by 2006, um, and I was still alive, it was just kind of like, yeah, stick it. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, how, how were those days? Like, did you feel anxious, like, in the days leading up to, to the two years? Did you, or... Uh, do you know what? I, in honesty, like, in all honesty, I don't think... I kind of just put it out of my head. Yeah. It was only when it kind of got to it that I was just like, oh, shit, I'm still alive. Damn, I did it. And, and I think it was because I wasn't dwelling on the fact that, you know, I'd, I'd, obviously I had some anxiety and I'd, you know, within that two years, I'd had several hospital admissions again and I had a few near misses again. But, you know, every time I went in and I came out, I was just like, yeah, did it again. Cheated death again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but the two years on, I, you know, I did kind of have this thing. It was just like, okay. I just don't acknowledge it. I can just ride under the radar and just continue on. Like, don't get me wrong, it was it was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, the medication was awful. It did make me feel like crap. Um, but I was alive. I was able to still see my daughter and my family and my friends. So for me, it was a small win. Um, although my quality of life was quite poor, I was still alive. Mm-hmm. And um, did anything change after that in terms of like how how you saw things like did you you know stop counting after after a while or had you already sort of stopped thinking about time passing like yeah I, I kind of did I I kind of um it's really weird every time I would go into hospital and every time I would come out it gave me like this full sense of like I was a superhero, like I'm indestructible, like I can't be killed. Um, I mean, I know you, I know you are, <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, um, so every, you know, every hospital admission, every time I got out and, you know, the whole recovery thing and I recovered and I was able to continue and, you know, went back to work and, you know, kind of just like muddled through. Um, it it was It was almost kind of like, I dare you to try and kill me. <laughs> like, I dare you. Um, but yeah, I just I just kind of had to just suck it up. I had to deal with what my body was throwing at me and how I felt on a daily basis and just modify my life. And once I did that, once I fully accepted that I had this disease 
and that I needed to make certain changes. Um, it was just, it, you know, it's just one of those things that you just kind of have to get on with. And, and that's what I did. So I stopped counting down the days. I stopped kind of worrying about, you know, the hospital admissions. It was, it just became part and parcel of my life. Um, and so I did stop thinking that, okay, this could be the day, this could be the day, this hospital admission, I may not get out of here. Um, in all honesty, there was a few admissions where I was just like, oh, crap, this I, I feel really bad and they're not looking too happy. This could be it. But I would always just kind of be like, nah, nah. I know um, that in the article you mentioned that one of like the biggest changes has been when you, you change your diet mm. and how that like that felt. And I know that... Like when we were talking about this already a couple of months ago, you were like you were saying that you always sort of like wary to bring it up because mm. you don't want it to look like, you know, that could you because that yeah. that's not the case. Yeah. And like it's such, you know, individual journeys that like just because something works for for someone, it doesn't mean that it works for everyone. So you didn't want to become this, you know, vegan poster girl of this <laughs> <laughs> awareness month. Um yeah. I mean you've got the face for it, but <laughs> thank you. Welcome. Um but yeah, I mean did you did you want to talk about that? Because I mean that's that's one of the things that I mean you're you're still vegan. I'm going to pretend I've never seen you cheat on that. Um Thanks. <laughs> what was that? I said thanks. You're welcome. Um but yeah, I mean, did you, did you want to, to mention, because I found it very interesting that at some point you, um, you know, considering what you said about taking a step back and then, you know, how your grandma sort of changed that, mm. um, I thought that must have been an even bigger change, sort of taking control of, of what was going on, you know. I mean, it, it, it was something as, I mean, simple, it's not simple, but like your diet, but mm. it also led to you learning more about the disease and starting researching more and taking a more like active role in you know in what was going on with you. Mm. Um so did you want to talk a bit about you know how how that felt, what you did and um Yeah of course. That. Yeah. I mean I mean th this this for me is is you know a really really important part of my story and I guess um my reticence uh kind of comes from as you said you know not everyone everyone's lupus journey is different so what works for one may not work for the other um and I never want to kind of you know say this worked for me so you should do it I I want to give people that information and if they decide that they want to try it because that's what I did when I was given the information I tried it uh, I had no preconceived ideas about it whether it would work or it wouldn't if it gave me a little bit more time, then I would be happy with that. I wasn't expecting, you know, anything more than that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd had throughout my journey, I'd had some, I did some trials, I'd, you know, tried loads of different medications. And there comes a point when, you know, when you're meeting new people, especially as far as in a romantic sense, like relationships and stuff, you have this thing hanging over you where you want to get to know someone and you want to plan for the future with that person. But you have this thing in the back of your mind that it's just kind of like, I have to tell you this. So it's almost like, don't get too into me <laughs> because I may not be here. And also it's that fact that if I do have to go into hospital, you know, is it too much for this person? Especially if it's the relationship is quite new. Um, 
So in 2017, um, I met my then partner who uh, everything was going really, really well. And obviously I'd, you know, been in hospital before and we were talking um, and they came up with uh, this, they researched about a doctor in America who had lupus, um, very similar journey to me, misdiagnosed a few times, kidney involvement, lung involvement, had a blood clot in the lung, kidneys were failing, had all the medications that I had been on, uh, the chemotherapies, everything, and to be told that she was not going to be able to have kids and just so similar, it was actually scary. Um, We got her books and her whole kind of ethos was about being able to control and manage your disease and effectively get rid of it just by changing your diet. And I'm not one of these people that are kind of just like, you know, jump on the bandwagon and and do it for fun. I'm very, very sceptical. I'd had years and years of medication and years and years of various doctors telling me, you can't come off your medication, you can't come off your medication, even though I'd, you know, asked many, many a time, what do I need to do to come off? You can't, you can't, you can't. And the times that I had, admittedly, I did end up back in hospital. So that validated what they were saying. Now, I wasn't doing it properly, granted, but it scared me enough to know that, damn, I do need to keep on taking these things. Otherwise, I will end up killing myself. And I, there's no one to blame but me because I stopped taking my yeah, meds. And you mentioned at that point it was like, what, 10, 11 years? Yeah, um, so. yeah. Uh, yeah, I was still still cheating death, still thinking I was invincible. So I wanted to try and come off my medication, but I'd been on it for so long. My body stopped knowing how to work. Um, I was taking so many different medications that, and that was messing up like my, the, the walls of my stomach lining. I had to take another tablet to combat that. And if I didn't take that tablet, the pain and the ulcers were just incredible. So my body stopped being able to work effectively by itself because the medication had completely taken over. Um, so coming off of it was detrimental to me. So in order for me to kind of do this diet, I wanted to do loads more research and I wasn't going to kind of just do it on a whim. If I was going to be able to come off my medications, I needed to replace my medication with something which I hadn't done before. Effectively, it was a vegan diet. It was introducing um, more fruit and veg, getting rid of things that cause inflammation. Now, anyone with lupus or any other autoimmune disease knows that inflammation is the biggest thing and inflammation causes pain. So you reduce that inflammation, you not only reduce the risks of other things, but you're also reducing your pain as well. And pain is a really big thing. Like I can suffer most things, but that chronic pain is what is so debilitating for people. And yes, you know, paracetamol, codeine, tramadol, morphine I was on. Um, that's not sustainable. Like people can't, you can't expect people to be taking those opiates for so long um, because of their pain. So it was healthier foods. It was foods that were going to combat the inflammation like turmeric, like chia seeds, flax seeds. It was giving my body what it needed to heal my cells. The damage that the lupus had done, it was to heal those parts of me and reduce that inflammation um and that's what I did I I went from being a carnivore and I was a massive carnivore like I loved my meat so 
it wasn't kind of like, oh yeah, it was easy. I was a vegetarian before. No, I wasn't. I used to eat meat, but I became a pescatarian. I then became a vegetarian and then I became vegan. And so I did it gradually. So my body wasn't kind of shell shocked by the fact that I wasn't eating um, any kind of meat. Um, And I was able to kind of sustain that as opposed to just giving up everything all in one go. Um, And you said the first thing you noticed was like your your energy levels. Yeah. Which sounds like a small thing, but... It's it's actually like a pretty big deal. It you know what it really really is like chronic fatigue is no fun. Like it's just horrendous. That constant feeling of just feeling lethargic and just tired and heavy and worn out. And this is first thing in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and I I can imagine that you know after so many years you know on mm. medications and feeling like that you you sort of like have to get used to it yeah so the moment that you notice the difference it actually uh, you actually realize that like you you realize like i wasn't able to do you know so many things i wasn't Mm. able to feel like that for like such a long time and it just like don't see you almost like yeah it It, that that for me was that was a it was a really big thing i felt almost lighter i guess um and literally I'd, i'd lost two stone in like three months um as well so I was actually physically lighter um my joint pain had kind of eased and stopped eventually um and this this these changes were all kind of within the first I want to say four or five months um and you know flooding my body with these superfoods and and like these nutrient dense meals it started to kickstart something. It just, it, it, my body was just like, yes, this and, is what I need. And I was shocked that, like, reading that, you know, in, in 16 years, um, no one ever talked to you about your heating habits or nutrition or like. No, 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 no one at all. And I, I would, you know, go to the doctors with, you know, various different things that I was feeling at, at the time or, you know, in hospital and, because of the medication, um, my eating habits weren't great. Um, I could quite easily go a good couple of days without having a solid meal. Um, and that's the honest truth. I, I was, yeah, it, it wasn't great. The chemotherapy, obviously, you know, nausea and, and stuff like that. So I wasn't eating masses of food. Um, but what I was eating, and this is the, the crucial thing, it was contributing to my disease. It was contributing to my illness. And it was contributing to the inflammation that was in my body. So, and I'm sorry to say it, guys, meat and dairy causes inflammation. That's that's it. That's not a conspiracy. This is not, you know, me talking as a vegan. This is fact. And you can go and look this up. It's what happens. They are carcinogens. They cause inflammation. As a side note, we are also not calves. So we shouldn't be drinking milk. And I know that's going to divide opinion, but we just shouldn't. Um, and, you know, there is this whole thing about protein and whatever. Where do you think the cows get their protein from? What do they eat? Plants. So you're just getting secondhand protein. But I'm not trying to convince you to be vegan. It's not what this is about. I was contributing to my disease by the the small amounts of food that I was eating. You know, I was doing the whole meat and two veg thing. Um, and what I didn't realise was that I was actually helping my disease to stay alive and kicking basically so once I got rid of those foods 
I wasn't then feeding my body the things that were making me sicker. I then introduced the things that were going to help with it. And then those changes started to happen. And eventually I kind of reduced my medications. Um, you know, the things that I were taking for inflammation and, and all the joint pain, I, I was able to stop the morphine and tramadol, which was a big deal. Um, I was able to stop the high dose steroids. I was able to stop the hydroxychloroquine. I was able to stop the chemotherapy. And gradually and gradually, I became medication free and I became asymptomatic. And like you mentioned that like this was, you know, a couple of, a couple of years ago. So mm. like, where are you at now? So still doing really, really well. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I did get COVID in, in March. Um, and so and did you didn't reply to my messages for five <laughs> days and that definitely didn't scare me. Yeah, uh, that yeah, COVID isn't that was not um not fun. But do you know what? I have to say, as horrible as it was, I do think I got off lightly, mm-hmm. um because you know it could have been so much worse for me, and I hand on heart believe that if I hadn't changed my lifestyle two years ago and I just kind of continued on. I mean, we don't even know if I'd still be here, but let's, for argument's sake, say that I was, and I was just continuing on, you know, living my shitty life, um, feeling the way that I did. If I had got COVID, I can hand on heart say that I don't think I would have been here. I think COVID would have yeah. would have just killed me off. But I think because I'd set my body up from those two years, you know, in good stead, when I got COVID, as horrible as it was, I was able to kind of fight it off a little bit better than if I hadn't done what I'd done, you know, in the past two years. Um, and like the rest of everyone who's, you know, had to suffer with COVID or dealt with COVID, um, I'm not 100% over it. Um, it's one of those things, and I know there's a lot of talk about this long COVID thing, which I didn't even realise was a thing, but now I'm just kind of like, well, that makes a little bit more sense about the way that I'm feeling. Um but generally, I'm I'm in really, really good health. I continue on with my plan. Um, you you know. better keep doing that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people kind of say to me, oh, do you not miss meat? Do you not miss bacon? Like, hell yeah, I miss, like a bacon sandwich? What? Come on. Who doesn't love a bacon sandwich? But also, you're basically asking me, do I want to live or die? So I choose live. And that means I choose veg. <laughs> and I feel that that's like a great note to end this on. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. Uh, like, can I, ju- I just want to yeah, let everyone know. Obviously, as we mentioned, it is Lupus Awareness Month. Sorry. Um, so please head over to um, www.lupus.org.uk or www lupusuk.org uk or just you know check on instagram there's a load of amazing um pages that uh give people with lupus support and stuff if you can do a run do a run if you can donate donate if you just want to get some more information about it please 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 um just educate yourselves on it you may have someone in your life that could be suffering all of these things and hasn't you know got a diagnosis tell them to get to their doctors and say you want to be investigated for lupus. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Thank you for listening. And that's everything for me. And this is Ramses. 
and I'm Natasha. And you're listening to punching the wall. I mean, you're not listening. We just finished punching, punching the, the wall. wall. <laughs>